0: Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station. On today's edition of Pathway to Victory. The apostles are in jail, but it says, during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison. Now, this is the first of three times we see the apostles miraculously released from jail. Here, Acts chapter 12 when Peter had a similar experience and then Acts 16 when uh, Paul and Silas were in the jail in Philippi and were released.
1: Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor Dr. Robert Jeffers. The church is no stranger to persecution. From the first century until today millions of Christians have died for their faith and even now the intensity is steadily increasing. Today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress talks about the persecution taking place all around the world and even in the United States. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? Thanks, David, and welcome again to Pathway to Victory. You've undoubtedly heard the metaphor
0: of the frog in the kettle. It's a great word picture. When you place a frog in boiling water, he'll hop right out of the pan. But if you place a frog in tepid water and slowly raise the temperature, he won't notice the danger until it's too late. Well, that's the perfect illustration of today's church. Little by little, the temperature is rising in our culture, and unwitting churches ignore the danger signs to their peril. In today's message and in my teaching series called Unstoppable, I'm showing you how to resist these challenging times. In today's message and in my teaching series called Unstoppable Power, I'm showing you how to be aware of the spiritual temperature around you. Along with my teaching series, I've also written a brand new book based on Acts chapters 1 through 12. It's also called Unstoppable Power, and I'm prepared to send a copy to your home when you give a generous gift to the matching challenge that's active right now. My book is the perfect choice for your small group Bible study at church. It'll stimulate great conversation among your friends. Plus, when you give a generous gift today, every dollar you give will have twice the impact because of the Unstoppable Power Matching Challenge. We're inspired by the words of Jesus who said, In the world you will have tribulation, but take courage, I have overcome the world. Your gift today will provide the fuel needed to help others stand strong in Christ and to unleash God's unstoppable power. More details on this wonderful matching challenge and my book are forthcoming. But right now, let's turn in our Bibles to the New Testament book of Acts. I titled today's message, Church in the Kettle. Turn to Acts chapter 5 as we discover what happens when the church is in the kettle. Acts chapter 5. Now, look at verse 12 of chapter 5. At the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were taking place among the people, and they were all of one accord in Solomon's portico. That was a part of the temple area. Verse 14 And all the more believers in the Lord, multitudes of men and women, were constantly added. To their number. They even carried the sick out into the streets and laid them on cots and pallets so that when Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on any one of them. Look what happened, verse 17 of Acts chapter 5. The high priest rose up, seeing the church growing, the high priest rose up along with all of his associates, that is, the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. And they laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. The apostles were in jail, but it says, during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison. Watch what happens next, beginning in verse 21. Now, when the high priest and his associates came, they called the Sanhedrin together, even all the Senate of the sons of Israel, and sent orders to the prison house for the apostles to be brought to them. But the officers who came did not find the apostles in prison. And they returned and reported back, saying, we found the prison house locked quite securely, and the guards were standing at the doors. But when we had opened up, we found no one inside. They had vanished. They couldn't believe what they saw. And now verse 25, a man comes running into the room breathlessly and saying, hey, you know those apostles you were looking for? They're out in front of the temple preaching the word of God. Go arrest them again and bring them here. And so they bring the apostles again to the Sanhedrin and say, we told you to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And now what are you doing? Quote, you have filled all of Jerusalem with this teaching. And so they tell Peter, they threaten him, you've got to quit doing this. Did Peter call a prayer meeting with the apostles? Oh, what should we do about this? No, he didn't have to think twice. Acts 5, 29, Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. He went on. He doubled down. Verse 30, the God of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you had put to death by hanging him on a cross. He is the one whom God exalted to his right hand as prince and his savior to grant repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses of these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. And what was the response of those Jewish leaders? Look at verse 33. When they heard this, they were cut to the quick and intended to kill the apostles. They hardened themselves against God's word and would have uh, annihilated the apostles right there had it not been for a man who stands up named Gamaliel. Gamaliel stood up and said, wait just a minute. Before you overreact and you make a bad situation even worse. I say to you, stay away from these men and let them alone, for if this plan or action is of men, it will be overthrown. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them, or else you may even be found fighting against God. Isn't that an interesting perspective from an unbeliever? How did they respond to that piece of advice? Look at verse 40. And so the leaders took Gamaliel's advice. And after calling the apostles in, they flogged them and ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they released them. Flogging was a light beating. They gave them a light beating. They gave them the perfunctory, don't ever do this again, and sent them on their way. And how did the apostles respond? Look at verse 41. So they went about on their way. From the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. As much as the unbelievers threatened them, tried to silence them, extinguished their message, they were unsuccessful. They kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. Now, what does this have to do with us today? Remember, the Bible says all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. That's true for you individually, and it's true for us as a church. If you are living a God-honoring life, you are going to face persecution. And there are four practical principles about persecution. I want you to write down and remember this because you're going to need this at some point to remind yourself of this truth. First of all, first truth about persecution, persecution is inevitable, expect it. It's inevitable, so expect it. Whenever you have an unstoppable force like the church moving in the opposite direction as an immovable object, like the world value system, you're going to have a fiery collision. You just are. Because the value system of the world, which is under Satan's control, is totally opposite of the value system of God. If you think that's an overstatement, listen to James 4.4. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be friends of this world makes himself an enemy of God. When the Bible talks about the world, it's talking about the world value system that is temporarily under Satan's control. It's the world system of power that you see manifest in Hollywood, in Washington, D.C., in uh, all parts of the world. It is a value system that is totally antithetical to the plans and the purpose of God. And as the world value system tries to exert dominion over an increasing amount of this world, this world value system under Satan's control will try to extinguish anyone or any group that stands up to oppose it. That's why I say persecution is inevitable. Jesus said it bluntly in John 16, in this world, you will have what? Tribulation, but be of good cheer for I have overcome the world. That's a great promise, but it's a sober reminder. Before Jesus overcame the world, he was first crucified by the world. And if the world hated him, they're going to hate you as well. And that's why, ladies and gentlemen, whenever you take a biblical stance in your personal life, don't be surprised when persecution comes. Whenever you stand for God and His Word, don't be surprised if you receive a demotion or even a firing from your employer, or you're the recipient of a penalty from a school or ridicule by the media. Don't be surprised if you're fined or even imprisoned by the government. Persecution is inevitable. First In 1 Peter 4, 12, we read it earlier. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. Don't be surprised by persecution. It's inevitable. Secondly, persecution is incremental. Understand it. This is so key. It's incremental. That's why you need to understand it. When the apostles first started experiencing persecution, it wasn't being thrown uh, to the lions. It wasn't having their heads chopped off. Remember how it started? First of all, they were admonished by the leaders not to do this anymore. Then they were beaten by the leaders. Then they were imprisoned by the leaders, and only then were they executed by the leaders. That's the way it happens. That's the way it happens in our world as well. Are Christians in America being persecuted right now? Well, not certainly like other Christians around the world are. Not yet. But remember, it's incremental. Doesn't happen all at once. Think about Nazi Germany. You know, the Nazis could have never murdered six million Jews immediately. The German people wouldn't have stood for it. No, they had a program by which They marginalized the Jews in society. Started teaching that they were lesser human beings, that they were different than the rest of us. And because they're different, it's okay to take away their rights. And once you take away their rights, it's easy to get to a place where you take away their lives as well. It was an incremental persecution against the Jews. And we see the same thing happening in our country to Christians. Christians are marginalized. If you stand for the sanctity of life and for the truth God made people male and female, not male, female in question mark, if you stand for religious liberty, if you stand for the nation of Israel, you are marginalized as ignorant. And not only that, a hate monger. And you deserve to have your rights taken away. And that leads to the second step of marginalization, the taking away of the rights, not of everyone, but of Christians. And we are starting to see that happen right now in our country. Let me give you an example of that. You may have read my op-ed at Fox News about this, but there was an organization, and is an organization in Texas, known as Christians Engaged. The purpose of this organization is not to support or oppose individual candidates, but to encourage Christians to pray for leaders to encourage Christians to vote their biblical convictions about issues like the sanctity of life and religious liberty and the nation of Israel and so forth. Not oppose or support candidates, but encourage people to vote their biblical convictions. They had applied for a tax-exempt status from the IRS, 501c3. And they were denied that tax-exempt status by by the IRS On this basis, the IRS sent a letter that has now become public that told Christians Engaged that even though you're not endorsing or opposing specific candidates, when you educate people to be pro-life, pro-religious liberty, pro-Israel, you are in effect telling them to vote Republican. And therefore, we are denying your tax-exempt status. In fact, if you think I'm making that up or exaggerating, let me tell you what the IRS said, and I'm quoting verbatim, quote, Bible teaching is typically affiliated with the Republican Party and candidates, therefore disqualifying the Christians engaged from a tax-exempt status. Can you believe that? They're saying not only… Are we not going to allow you to endorse candidates? I don't think you ought to endorse candidates anyway from the pulpit. But not only are we not going to allow you to do that, we're not going to allow you to advocate for any point of view, pro-Israel, pro-life, pro-religious liberty, that can be identified with not any political party, but with the Republican Party. And we are denying your tax-exempt status for that reason. They are expanding what kind of speech is not acceptable in the government's eyes. Now, that's an organization, a parachurch organization, Christians Engaged. It's not hard to see at all how the next step for the IRS, and trust me, I know what I'm talking about here, That the next stop for the Internal Revenue Service is going to be not all churches, but conservative churches. That although they never break any of the IRS rules, they're going to say, if you teach pro-life, pro-religious liberty, pro-Israel, pro-traditional marriage, you are no longer tax-exempt and we are going to find the bejeebers out of you. That is not hard to see at all, it is beginning right now. And let me just say this as clearly as I know how to say it. The United States government has absolutely no business in meddling with what a church says, stands for, or believes, the government is to stay out of this pulpit. And I'm telling you today, with God as my witness, The United States government will never intimidate or silence the First Baptist Church of Dallas. We are going to continue to proclaim the pro-life position, the pro-traditional marriage position, We're going to talk about religious liberty. We're going to talk about God's blessing upon the nation of Israel. We're going to continue to talk about those things, not because they are Republican values. They are God's values. And that's what our duty is as a church. That's why the Bible says persecution is incremental. We need to understand what's going on in our country. The third truth about persecution is it's painful. Endure it. You know, some Christians are surprised when they actually suffer persecution. What in the world is going on here? Other Christians can intellectually say, oh, I know I'll be persecuted, but they're surprised when it hurts. But persecution by its nature is painful. Peter, who ultimately would be crucified upside down for his faith, wrote about the pain of persecution. Look at verse 20 of 1 Peter 2. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God. For you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example to follow in his steps. When Jesus was on the cross, did God provide some heavenly anesthetic to save him from the pain? No, he suffered on the cross. That's why we shouldn't think some strange thing is happening to us when we suffer suffering is painful, but the good news is it's also temporary. In 2 Corinthians 4, 17, Paul said, for the momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. I always kind of smile when I read that passage. Paul said, the persecution we suffer is light and it's momentary compared to what awaits us. Think about what Paul went through. Beaten, Three times within an inch of his life, shipwrecked, imprisoned, ultimately beheaded. He said, hey, all of that is light. It's momentary compared to what God has prepared for us in heaven. That's the good news about persecution. It's painful, but it's temporary. And finally, persecution is profitable. Praise God for it. Now, I'm not saying we ought to invite persecution. No, we ought to resist it every way we can, but sometimes we can't resist it. Sometimes it's inevitable and the pain we feel is real. But when that happens, when God allows persecution to come, we can rejoice in it, not because we're sadomasochists who enjoy pain, but because we know it's not without purpose. God is using it for our good. In James 1 verse 2, James says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. We can be joyful. Doesn't mean we're happy, giddy. That's a superficial emotion. Joy is that calm assurance that God is in control of everything happening in our life, everything happening in our lives. Church and is going to use it for his great purpose. Author Joan Chittister tells a true story from centuries ago about an invading army that left a path of destruction in the country it had invaded. Every time they would come to a new village, they would first of all get rid of all of the Christians and especially all of the monks. The army had arrived at a village and was met by the leader of the village who said all of the Christians had fled. He told the commander of the army, all of the monks are gone with the exception of one. The commander demanded that he be taken to that one remaining monk. And when he arrived at the monastery, he kicked down the gate of the monastery, went in and found the monk in a room. And the commander roared to the monk, do you know who I am? I'm the one who can run you through with a sword without batting an eyelash. And the monk, without missing a beat, looked up and said, And do you know who I am? I'm the one who can allow you to run me through with a sword without batting an eyelash. That was the courage of the early church When threatened with persecution and extermination, verse 41 says, they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been considered worthy to suffer shame for his name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they kept right on teaching and preaching Jesus as the Christ. They were truly an unstoppable force. May we be as well. We cannot become unstoppable by relying on our own strength. The key to becoming unstoppable is learning to deploy the power of God's Holy Spirit. When this occurs, nothing can prevail against the power of God. This represents the heart, the very core of my new teaching series, and it's the thrust of my new book titled Unstoppable Power. The first century Christians endured enormous persecution and oppression. They refused to cower in the presence of their critics, and you can as well. These days, we cannot survive without supernatural boldness. So please reach out to Pathway to Victory and request your copy of my brand new book, Unstoppable Power. It'll help you understand how to take your next steps in becoming unstoppable. A copy is yours when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory. Remember, your generous gift today serves another important purpose. Your gift will automatically be doubled because of the Unstoppable Power Matching Challenge. Generous friends of this ministry have set aside $500,000 of their personal resources with the sole intention of motivating you to give generously. Every gift counts. At the end of this Matching Challenge, we're praying that God will supply everything needed so that we can continue to keep you and your family rooted firmly in your faith. And it will empower us to continue introducing the lost and the hurting to Jesus Christ. Please pray about this Matching Challenge opportunity and give as generously as you can between now and July 4th.
1: Here's David with all the details. Thanks, Dr. Jeffers. Today, when you invest in the ministry of Pathway to Victory by giving a generous gift, we'll say thanks by sending you the brand new book by Dr. Jeffers called Unstoppable Power. Call 866 or visit our website at ptv.org. And when your gift is $100 or more, you'll receive not only the book, but also the complete collection of audio and video discs for the Unstoppable Power teaching series. Plus, we'll also include a study guide, perfect for a Sunday school class or maybe a small group Bible study. And remember, because of the Unstoppable Power Matching Challenge, your gift today will be doubled in impact by another generous donor. One more time, call 866-999-2965 or find us online at ptv.org. You could also write to us if you'd like, here's that mailing address: PO Box 223609 Dallas, Texas 75222. Again, that's PO Box 223609 Dallas, Texas 75222. I'm David J Mullins. You know, over the years, church splits and even lawsuits happening between believers seem to be more and more frequent. So how should churches respond to disagreement? That's our topic Thursday on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.